It's an honor to serve King Jesus. All right, let's honor the word of God. From that, I'll jump off. We are in a series. I'm reminding you. I'm reminding you. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy. I like reminders. I need reminders. I like Siri. Even when she gets it wrong, the reminder. There are so many times in the Bible that God is constantly trying to remind His people of His goodness, His faithfulness, so we can live a stable, successful Christian life. So we're right here in Deuteronomy 8. The children of Israel have, were in Mount Sinai. They have been spent their 40 years in the desert. They're getting ready to go into the promised land, and Moses is reminding them and giving them last instructions, last decrees, last commandments, and above all, trying to impart to them what he has. He has encountered and experienced God. He knows him, like what's hanging on that wall. In fact, the Bible says he speak, Moses and God spoke like friends, as a man speaks to his friend face to face. And it's the biggest thing he's trying to impart to them is the nature of God, the relationship he has. He wants them to have one like that. And he's reminding them of those things. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5. Every command which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. A very famous passage. Jesus quotes it in Matthew. Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on on you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. That's miraculous. My feet swell on the first plane ride. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. This is a reminder as he says so clearly in verse 2, you shall remember. So let's learn some things from the word of God here and look at this. You've got notes right there. Let's look at verse 1. Every command which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may what? Live. Not that you may obey. That's already implied. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess. That means increase. You know, when I hear the word command... Sometimes it's not positive in my mind, especially in this culture. It may try to creep in that the word command is some kind of negative connotation, but not in the Word of God. Not in the Word of God. It is not a list of do's and don'ts. Oh, no, no. It's way, way more than that. The commands of God are life themselves. I'm giving you commands that you may live and multiply and possess this land. The commands of God, number one in your notes. The goodness of God is found in 
all his commandments. His commandments are good. The very life of God is found in his commandments. Every command which I command you today, be careful to observe, because in that word is a life itself. Some other scriptures that illustrate that. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace will be added to you. That sounds like Deuteronomy. Not do's and don'ts. Not, oh, well, we have to do this and we should. No, we must see the commands of God as very life itself. It's so much easier, and it's, it's true. That's the right way we should see it. It's so much easier when we view the commands of God as our very life, our very breath. Listen to the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Every commandment from let there be light in Genesis to Revelation when he says, "Have um, surely I come quickly is good. Every commandment, I love the way he says it, the commands of God are light themselves, light and life. My son's in karate, and I, I love it because it's a Christian karate called Cajun Karate, and they've got these one-liners that they just pound in these kids. They pound them on the ground, and they pound them. In. <laughs> it's funny to watch a bunch of eight-year-olds go with all this gear pounding on each other. They love it. It's a guy thing. Some ladies do it. Um, so they have this one-liner, blessings follow obedience. Blessings follow obedience. So the kids, when they're obedient in the class and listen and they're strict, they have fun and they can do dodgeball and other things afterward. Sometimes the class doesn't get to do it because they didn't obey. And it's so, at a young age, you're teaching these kids, you know what? The commands of God are the blessings of God themselves. So that's the first thing Moses wants to remind these people. Moses has lived all this time, had this amazing relationship with God. Up up to this point, you could say one of the closest people ever to God up to this point in in history before the cross. He says, I want to remind you, people of God, that all his commands are life. Let's keep looking here. Verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. All the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Now these are people he's talking to that suffered because of some bad leadership decisions from parents and other leaders, right? The previous generation was faithless and God said, I'm telling you right now, this faithless isn't going to work faithlessness and a lack of trust in me doesn't go into the promised land. That's why we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, right? He said, and these, how do you like to tell a bunch of 18, 19 year olds, listen, you're going to, I'm sorry, the problem of your life is going to be in the desert. That's difficult for a generation to handle. 
But he tells this generation who's getting ready to take the promised land, he tells them, God led you all the way these 40 years. You know, growing up, I used to think, man, this is the worst life ever. Like these poor people, they had to do circles in the, in the wilderness and they missed so much of the promised land and, and all this stuff. You know, they were fed miraculously every single day by manna. The hand of God never re- was removed from them. That's what this Bible says right here. Does it say that? He led them the whole way these 40 years in the wilderness. We think, oh, well, they just, they're a poor generation. They're no good. Oh, it's a generation after the charismatic movement. Oh, it's a generation after this. Oh, it's that poor generation during World War II. No, there is no sad generation. The goodness and faithfulness of God leads in every generation, no matter what's going on, right? Number two on your notes. God still leads in difficulties and doubts. I like that. Therefore, I'm not scared or frustrated about what's going to happen in this country. I can, I can, in true words of heart, because you can't fake it with kids, right? You can't fake it. You know, they know. Look at my children and say, I want to tell you about the goodness of God that will be in your generation. I'm going to tell you that he'll lead you no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in America, no matter what's going on, he's, his hand's going to be with you in this wilderness these 40 years, in the mountaintops and in the valleys. You can't fake that. That's why you got, we study the word here. That's why we look and say, Lord, mm, that generation wasn't so slighted. Oh, poor them. They're not victims. His hand was on them. They saw miraculous things in that desert. He, their, their feet never swelled. Their clothes didn't run out. Can you imagine that kind of lifestyle? They're almost removed from the, thir- from, uh, the sin that affects this world, the laws of thermodynamics. Then things tend to break down, slow down, and fall apart, right? That's the layman terms. I'm not a scientist. But their clothes didn't. Their, their feet didn't swell. That's phenomenal. The provision of God over them. I love that he leads them. I've led you these 40 years all the way in doubts and difficulties and issues with the previous generation. I'm greater. He leads in family dysfunction. He leads in lack of resources. He directs when we need him to. He leads despite family issues. Let's look at a couple scriptures here that back that up. Isaiah 49. The reason we need to look at this is because the temptation of every generation will be to doubt the leading of God in it. Listen to me again. The temptation of every generation, we're light and we're salt. No one else has a truth. We have Jesus, right? You have Jesus, you have life. The temptation is to say, well, it's just not as good or it may not turn out good. Look what they said, the people of God in Isaiah 49. But Zion said, this is Isaiah 49, 14. But Zion said, the Lord's forsaken me. Nobody likes me. I just might as well go eat worms. Right? It's an old, it's just, it's no good. These are God's people. He was with them before, but now the Lord's forsaken. The Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. I feel like that before. That's how it comes up. Comes up in your heart and mind. 
We're but dust. Verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. Surely this world may fail you. Surely even a mom may let you down. But what does it say? Yet I will not forget. Come on. I feel better already. He's faithful. He's that good. It goes on to say, I've inscribed you on my hands. That's what verse 16 says. Let's look at one more in Ezra. I love this one because this is someone who actually lived it. The book of Ezra. We know that the people of Israel went into captivity in Babylon 70 years. They come out in waves under Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra is the priest. Nehemiah is the the businessman who's going to construct and rebuild everything. Ezra's focus is the temple. You always need the one-two combination. Ezra 9, 8, and 9. Now, this is a man who gets bondage. This is a man who actually saw the difficulties and the 40 years. Theirs was not 40, but theirs was 70. This is a man who grew up in the wilderness of Babylon, the spiritual wilderness. Ezra 9, 8, and 9. This is a prayer and a plea. He gets back to Israel and there's wickedness and intermarriage and all these issues. So he left Babylon. He goes back to Israel and it's not good there either. Look what he says. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg, a spot that doesn't move, in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival. Revival in what? In our bondage. Now look right here, verse 9. For we were slaves, yet... What does that say? Our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. Yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judea and Jerusalem. God leads in difficulties and doubts. Even when it wasn't Ezra's fault, God still leads them. Boy, I like that. He doesn't forsake us in our bondage. He didn't forsake the children of Israel. He didn't forsake them here. We have a better covenant. We have the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. Him who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all freely. How shall he not also with him make us perfect? All right, let's go back to Deuteronomy here. Verse 3, Deuteronomy 8, 3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, know something. Now, now listen to this. He fed him with manna. Manna, there's a few different views about exactly what it is. It's most probably some kind of grain that the Lord in his providence, brought to them and it fell to the ground and they picked it up. It doesn't seem to be overly nutritious. 
in, in and of itself, very base, like, you know, rice. But they didn't have any problems. They were healthy. The Bible says even the food they ate was supernatural. And you didn't know about it, and your daddy didn't either. You couldn't grow it, and even your grandpa, who can grow anything, he couldn't figure it out either. You looked around, and nobody in the caravan could make this happen. Even the old lady who can grow things in her garden at any time of the year, she can't do it. But I supplied it for you. No one in your company had this knowledge or this ability. So what is all this test? What is it? Number three on your notes. God's test teach us total dependence on Him. God does not tempt. He is holy and righteous in every way. He tests, or the word I really like is to try or to purify. It's usually the picture of purifying metals to remove impurities. Why did he do it with the people of Israel? And why does he do it with us? Because he wants to teach us total dependence on him. See, this is the thing about our lives. You're going to come at life in every situation and relationship and job two ways without Christ. You're going to come from insecurity or you're going to come from pride. The road you take without Christ will be an insecurity or it will be the road of pride. Those are the two without Christ. I have been on both of those. They are not fun. Ugh. To come at a job, a relationship, whatever, in insecurity, saying, oh, I got to be this or do this. It's so wonderful to be free and say, I've got nothing to prove. He said it is finished. I'm serving him. I obey him. I'm studying my word. I'm trying to be a better father. I know he's greater, a better husband, a better leader, but I got nothing to prove. <sighs> Come on, church. That's where God wants you to be. Not in insecurity, not in pride, which was the sin of Satan, which is going to bring fall. You will fall in pride but in the wonderful, glorious grace of our Savior that says, oh, I depend on Him. Do I work hard? Yes. Do I work on discipline? Yes. Do I eat my vegetables? Yes. But I'm going to tell you what my very life is about, what my success is about. It's not in insecurity, and it's not on the road of pride. Oh, that's right. They may be on the left and on the right. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear any evil, for the Lord is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. I'm walking on the path of righteousness, not in insecurity, not in pride. Oh, but in the precious blood of Jesus, I can put a smile on my face, and I can live victoriously in any situation. Come on. The world needs to hear this. They live in one or the other. Most actually it's in insecurity and they put a smile on their face and they're hurting and broken and you think everything's okay because they're walking around like this. Like, do you know Jesus? Do you have him in your heart? Are you free? Are you free? Come on. All right, that's my highest preaching sermon part. God's tests are for total dependence. Oh, glorious, wonderful dependence. John Calvin said, Till the sinner is made sensible of his abject helplessness, he will not appreciate the providences of grace. We will come with our human abilities, with our fig leaves, or with some kind of silly pride thinking we can do something. Oh no, 
I want to live for Christ. I want to live long term. I want to live successfully. And Paul said, I am what I am by the grace given to me. Come on. Can we walk in grace? Yes, and we can walk successfully. That's what I want. That's what I want for you, for your marriage, for your workplace, for your relationships. Above above what I want. That's what God wants. That's what the king of the universe wants for you. I'm not checking texts. I'm going to read a story. (laughs) Got a picture right here. This is the famous Last Supper. Thank you so much, A.V., for doing this last minute. I thought, well, it's kind of hard to talk about the Last Supper. They can get it in their, their mind. This is a picture that is on a wall in Italy, in a convent. It's very famous. It's been done and redone and mocked and everything else. This was done by da Vinci in the 14th century. It took him about three years to do. It's 15 by 29 feet. Massive. Huge. It had been restored multiple times over the year, and a great international restoration took place in 1980 to make it look more like this. I I did this one because this is the actual picture of the wall, not uh, the million you'll find online. A unique story about this. Da Vinci having given the finishing strokes, he invited a few confidential friends to a private inspection. They gazed attentively at various and various remarks were made. An observation from one of them, however, led to an unexpected result. He spoke with great ask, He spoke with great admiration about a golden chalice he saw beneath Christ on the table. Its shape, its color, its size were all that could be desired. That, exclaimed the critic, is the most beautiful object in the entire picture. Hearing what was said, da Vinci, the artist, took a brush and dipped it into black paint deliberately smearing the chalice, making it more dull over the canvas. He soon explained, If, he said, what you tell me is true, then my picture is a failure, for I meant my maker's face to be the chief and most beautiful object of all. Da Vinci, one of the greatest minds, Phenomenal, not only painter and sculptor, but inventor. So many inventions, even that we bounced off of and that we use today. Said, nope, my abilities are nothing. I've got one dependence, and it's total dependence on him. I want him glorified. I want to live in his grace. Can you imagine? Considered the greatest painter of all time? No, no, not insecurity and dare not pride. I'm going to live right here. All right, that was the highest point, and that was my best story also. (laughs) Let's go back to Deuteronomy. I'm testing you. I'm trying you to teach you total dependence that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, 
but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Of course, this very famous statement is made so popular from Deuteronomy by Jesus. And we need to look at that in Matthew 4. Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and the Spirit of the Lord drove him into the desert. Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Live in insecurity and need, or in pride that you can do this. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Number four in your notes. Always remember. Always. Say always. always. Remember that life flows from one source. One, one, one only. The Word of God. Man lives by the Word of God. This Everything was created by the Word of God and we live by that one unmoving, unchanging source, the eternal Word of God. That is the reason why the Word of God is under attack in our culture. Because it's what we live by. The one source of perfect perfection in this fallen world. Moses says, Israel, I need to remind you. If you, I mean, this is just five verses. This is at the end of his life. If you can remember anything, if I can remind you of anything, remember that man lives not by abilities, not by what Egypt has, not by what the promised land has, but man lives by the word of God. That's the most precious thing they will ever have. That's what he's proclaiming to Israel. All right, one last one, verse 5. You should know in your heart, I mean the deepest part of you, the deepest, most complete part of you, heart is used for the, the most complete or deepest part of us, that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you or directs you, loving, lovingly disciplines you, lovingly re-corrects you. I love those little bumper things on the road. Probably because I'm actually trying to multitask while I'm driving with children when I shouldn't be. Because I'm driving and I always have to talk or say something. And if for any reason I get a little off one way or the other with a vehicle full of precious little kids, oh, thank you, Lord. I always think about it when I think about the, the wonderful discipline of the Lord. Protecting me, loving me, giving me a specific point and direction in life, and everyone who's with me, whom I'm responsible for. Number five on your notes. Say expect, 
No, let's say it like you really expect the loving discipline of your heavenly father. We need to expect it. Moses said, I want you to expect God to be involved in your life, growing you, disciplining you, loving you, even when I'm gone. Right. Moses was the voice of the Lord. Moses gave the command of the Lord. I'm going to be gone. Joshua was going to come in. Then Joshua is going to be gone. The one you want that, that I want you to remember that is your life and your focus is Jesus is the is God. And he's going to be loving you and directing you and disciplining you all your life. Expect the loving discipline of your heavenly father whom the Lord loves. He that's right. He chastens or disciplines. I don't like that scripture, but I love that scripture. I really don't like it, but I really love it. It's both. You should feel like that, especially when you're eating super healthy food. This makes me feel good, but it doesn't make me feel good. Let's stand up. couple minutes with Jesus, then we're going to read a benediction prayer. You and Jesus. You heard the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord to God's people then. The word of the Lord to us now. Okay, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, I want this. I want your commands. I want everyone. They are life itself. The goodness of God is in the commands of God. Oh, God, I've been through issues and mess and problems and sicknesses. I've been in the wilderness. I have spent time in the wilderness of depression, in the wilderness of fear, in the wilderness of insecurity, in the wilderness of pride. Oh, but I've seen, heard your word today, God. You don't forsake us. You lead in the wilderness. Oh, thank you, God. Lord, I feel like you're trying me and testing me. I know what you're teaching me. You're teaching me a total dependence on you. I went to friends and they couldn't help me. I went to my spouse and they couldn't help me. I, I studied online. I listened to sermons. They couldn't help me. But, oh, God, you are teaching us total dependence on you. And that total dependence is that man shall not live by bread alone. Oh, you're the only source. You're the only source. In this world of Amazon where everything is at a click of a button, oh God, man can live, exist without you. Man cannot live without you. We don't want to only exist, we want to live.